What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside, a podcast about working for a church without losing your soul. I am John Pyle. I am your host and digital pastor on this journey. And whether you work for a church, volunteer for a church, or just go to a church, or maybe you left a church or have been disconnected from a church, you're deconstructing your faith, you don't know what to believe, this podcast was designed for you. It's designed to help create cultures that are better on the inside, that make it simpler to follow Jesus and don't require so much of your soul because it is so easy to serve a church, whether you're a volunteer, a staff member, somebody who goes there, a giver, a tither, whatever you want to call it. It is so easy to give, give, give more than you kind of receive back. And it can leave us feeling very dry from a spiritual perspective. And I don't want that to happen anymore. So that's why this podcast exists. And my guest today is somebody who runs a church like that. At least that's what it sounds like. And is somebody who speaks really well about the topic. And so she's somebody who not only speaks to church culture and what that can look like, she also allows us to look critically at what we're doing and the part that we play in it and how we can grow and be better. And so she's got some great spiritual knowledge that drops and there are a couple kind of moments in this and she has an opportunity who I still haven't said who it is, I guess, uh, to be able to show us a different way, imagine a different way. My guest is Mennonite pastor, Melissa Florer Bixler, and she is a speaker. Uh, she is an author. She has a book, How to Have an Enemy, and she's got some amazing uh, articles that are online, and she's going to be speaking at Yale. That's an inside joke from a podcast, but she's going to be speaking at different places uh, all around there, and she's in North Carolina. She's an awesome person. So you're going to want to check this episode out, and you're going to hear some of the ideas about she has about decoupling some of what we've built at the church, some of the systems that we've put together, and retaining some of our humanity and some of our relationship especially as we're navigating this pandemic. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. It is awesome. Check it out and I'll see y'all later. Love you. Hey, what's up y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside. I am here with Melissa Florer Bixler, somebody who I have really met for the first time here, but I've already given a nickname, the Notorious MFB. Melissa, how are you doing? That I'm doing great. You know, I... Any sort of um, 90s throwback, like anything that brings me closer to Biggie Smalls, uh, like closes the gap between me and Biggie is like is fine with me. So I'm doing especially well today. Thanks. Basically the same thing. It was all a dream. (laughs) It was all a dream. dream. Uh, That's right. Fellow geriatric millennial. But Melissa is awesome. You tweet, you write, you're an author, you're a Mennonite pastor, a speaker, a social justice organizer. You have like commas and slashes all up in there and i i appreciate the stuff that you're writing because it's a little bit different and so what what's your latest book called how to have an enemy right how to have an enemy righteous anger in the work of peace yep out with harold press this year wow when did it come out um august i think sounds sounds about right yep sometime in the summer are you tired of saying that title um, no, I'm good with it. Okay. Yeah, it was, it's really, I'm really bad with titles of things. Like my sister actually was the one who landed on the one that the publisher liked, but I don't give my sermons titles. I'm really bad with lecture titles. It's like a word salad. And then I just kind of like try to figure out something <laughs> to say. <laughs> and your sister comes in and goes, okay, this is the title. 
Yeah, like my sister is my editor. She's like, that doesn't matter. Those words don't make any sense. Oh, well, that's, that's a so great cheesy. title, though. Uh, yeah. By the way, shout out to your sister. What's your sister's name? Heather. Yeah. Heather. Nice job, Heather. I don't, I just assumed that her name was Heather Flora Bixler, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, just Bixler. Yeah. Yep. She's married. We kept the last name. So, okay. yep. Heather so, Bixler. Shout out to Heather Bixler. Um, so what is your, because that is a great title though, How to Have an Enemy, especially in an age such as this. So tell me a little bit more about the book and why you wrote it. Yeah, for a long time, or in my Word documents, it's just called Enemy Book, um, because that was really, you know, where this, this sort of, the like every book, everything I write, I think comes from a question yeah. that I have, and then um, I don't really presume that anybody has the same questions as me, but if you are, perhaps you want to think about this particular question <laughs> alongside yeah. of me. Um, and, and the question that I was thinking about over the past couple of years, as I think a lot of us were, was, um, how do I love my enemies? And the question before that, who is my enemy who mm. I'm called to love? Um, we spend a lot more time on that first question, how do I love my enemy? Um, but there's an assumption there that we know who our enemies are. <laughs> and that seems to be a place where I think there's a lot more discomfort um, mm. in Anabaptism and in the peace church tradition. But I think generally speaking for people in the church, um, but we really came across this political moment of Trumpism in our country where it felt like, I mean, I think it, we really did experience a much more sort of clear set of um, conflicts yeah. rising up. Um, and so really feeling the need to address that for myself within scripture and within, within the tradition of um, our faith. Yeah, that is so cool and so necessary. Because as, as you, uh, so, uh, ooh, well, ooh, what's the word? Diplomatically, there we go. I was trying to find my words. I just watched a terrible movie and I'm still mad about it. Uh, but as you diplomatically put it, um, I, I love this uh, piece of the political moment has created so much conflict and there's so much talk about both sides, right? There's a lot of like, polarization sideism of like well both sides and i think the spineless kind of way to take that on is just like well there's good people on both sides and we have to listen to both sides of the argument and you're coming from a, from a much different perspective of how do i have an enemy somebody that i disagree with and not going well compromise but instead going this is how i have an enemy and this is how i love that enemy yeah. And, and, you know, I do feel like I was looking for somebody to have this conversation with me, right? Like I needed mm. to figure this out. And what I kept getting was exactly what you're talking about. Well, like, let's really celebrate these churches where Democrats and Republicans come together and the sort of um, using this, this language of left, right, and center to avoid talking about the things that we really needed to talk about, which were that people's lives were materially impacted by the political decisions we made, um, by where we where we aligned ourselves, yeah. um, and really th that oftentimes this, these political categories are used to obfuscate actual actual lives, like people's actual mm. lives. Right. Oh man, it, the this the way you said that just got me so excited. 
of just the decisions we make material impact people's lives. And I think in this rush to be non-political, right? And there's a, there's a, there's a definite, definite focus in evangelical circles, especially in mega churches. Uh, Some have gone the way of just like, hey, we're putting an American flag in the sanctuary and we're having a 21 gun salute as we pray and we're backing very specific people. Like they've made a very clear choice in the political piece. Most places tend to kind of sit in this, I don't know, lukewarm middle of like, hey, we have Republicans and Democrats that give and we just want to kind of be in this spot. And there's an obsession with being apolitical. And what I think would be better language is maybe nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you're talking about is the impact on actual people's lives. And if you don't, if you don't have a, uh, and I'm not saying you have to have a take, but if you don't weigh in on, on actual issues that affect people, you are supporting the status quo and the status quo is not in favor of the people that the church should be for. Is that a fair assessment of what that looks like? Yeah, because everything is political, right? There's Mm. literally nothing in our lives that isn't like in the, in the sort of traditional like way we think not about, like you're saying, not about partisan politics, federal politics, even local politics, but where you send your kids to school is a political decision. Right. Mm. Um, Mm. Where you shop for your food is a political decision. Um, Whether you call the police or not, um, when there's a break in at the church, you are making because all a polis is, is right. People who have made collective decisions about their lives. Um, Yeah. And here we are as the church of people who are called to a particular form of life, um, making particular decisions about our world. And there's no way to pull ourselves out of the way that that intersects with political decisions that we think of more traditionally. Um, But I think that the question is, where do we, what, what's the imagination that we have cultivated as a church um, that puts us both in a non-competitive relationship, right, with with mm-hmm. political things that happen at school bar- boards and, yeah. um, and election commissions, and at the same time, doesn't put our hope in those things, right? Mm. <laughs> like that, that puts our hope in the good news of Jesus Christ, which is always going to challenge the powers of this world um, yeah. in whatever form that they take. Oh, that is so true, right? He's bringing good news for the poor and the captives and he's giving the blind sight. So it's going to be in opposition to a lot of these things. And oh, I, I get so excited when you talk about this, but where we have our churches is a political decision. Yes. Where you go to church yes. is a political decision that you make and so on and so on. And so in this, in this rush to be apolitical, um, we're definitely supporting something. And so, as churches, you know, we have these kind of megachurch, and you come from a different tradition. And so I, you know, I love talking about your, your, you know, what did you call it? Oh, I have it right here. My church is a pointless waste of money. Is that, oh, my church is a beautiful waste of money. Pointless is terrible. Sorry. Uh, my church is a Maybe beautiful waste do, of but, money. It's certainly beautiful. Right. And so you're kind of on a different side where you've got this, uh, you know, I talk a lot about differentiating between the 501c3 organization and the spiritual community. Mm. 
And based on what I know of your church, it leans way more to the spiritual community part than the 501c3 organization. And so it could seem like maybe it's at odds with the mega church, but I think there's a lot you can teach us about how to elevate the spiritual community over the 501c3 organization and what that looks like. What are some of the lessons that you've learned in pastoring kind of a different kind of church than somebody who's usually on a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think about what, you know, in, in terms of these decisions that even sort of how this church that Raleigh Mennonite church that I pastor developed. Um, and we, there's another church, Chapel Hill Mennonite. That's about um, t- 20 miles down the road from us. And it started as a small group from, um, mm. from Raleigh Mennonite. Um, and there's this sort of famous story that the reason that Chapel Hill Mennonite became a church is because there weren't enough spoons. Um, <laughs> they were eating at somebody's house and the group got big enough that there weren't enough spoons anymore. And so, Ah. oh, maybe we need to buy our own spoons. And if we're going to buy our own spoons, like to accommodate this group of people that's grown to the size, maybe we should just start worshiping together on, on Sundays. Um, and so, so even just sort of that, that, that (laughs) we bless you on your way, you know, we want this, you know, we want you to meet here. Um, and then, you know, when we think about the size of our congregation, just probably between 60 and 80 people on a Sunday, really think like we can't get any larger than than it than can accommodate our decision making process, which is a consensus decision process. Um, everybody's involved mm. in the decisions that we make um, as a congregation, and we have to reach consensus in order to move ahead with the decision. Um Okay, I you this is a this is an audio medium for most people. I just made a face of like what? Like that sounds frightening, terrifying, wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, it is all of those things. Um it is all of those things. Um but it is sustainable because of the form of church life it is is in, intertwined with who we are as a spiritual community right like we mm. because we are small enough that we cannot help but know one another right like there's there's yeah. no getting out of like being up in each other's <laughs> business when there's only yeah. 60 to 80 people at church at a time right, this, right. And once we're too big to be up in each other's business we probably need another church someplace else um, because without the um, without being held and known and accountable to one another, it becomes very easy to say, oh, well, I just don't like that idea. I'm going to vote against it. Mm. Right. Um, okay, mm. <laughs> I, but if I have to show up at your house to babysit your kids tomorrow, um, I'm going to think about the decisions that we make after worship differently, right? Like if we're going to sing in this small group together and have to rehearse together for weeks and weeks, that means something about the decisions that we, you're the decisions that we make together as a church in our money and how we, what we do with our time, where we, where we worship because we're permanent renters, all of that, um, all of that is inner, all of that's together, right? Like there's no separation between the structure of church, how we worship, the decisions we make. 
Yeah, which is incredible because there's accountability in relationships. Right. And so it's much closer to the idea of family where it's like, well, you're not firing people. Mm-hmm. Like it, I'm thinking in your church context and it sounds ridiculous, but you know, in mega churches, it's like there's performance uh, focus and there's this program should be like this and you achieve the X, Y, or Z. But, uh, and people talk about church being family, but in your context, it's literally like, well, when aunt Sally brings a bad casserole, you don't go, Hey, you can't come to Thanksgiving next year. Um, we're going to replace you with somebody who makes better casseroles. Uh, there's a chef that's down the street in Austin. That's got this amazing restaurant. So we're going to go ahead and bring her in for casseroles. Um, you don't do that. It's, it's the accountability and relationship because it is hard to have, I don't know, dumb conflict. Let me just call it dumb conflict or low level conflict with people that you actually love. And yeah, right. And I mean, even when you use that example, like a real example of this is the church that called me into ministry, Portland Mennonite. Um, there were two, we would do a prelude before worship. And one of the, the people who did a violent prelude was this woman, Emily, who had, you know, taken violin since she was four years old, was a performance major in college. And then we had this other guy, Ben, who started playing the violin. Oh, Ben! Ben. (laughs) I love Ben already! Ben, who started playing violin, like, when he was 50. And I think he was 65. And he was not good, John. (laughs) He was not good. Um... But he was, but he took up the violin when he was 50. Who does that? Right? Like, I am going to watch Netflix 24 hours a day in my free time when I'm 50. I'm not going to be learning to play the violin. Mm. And And to be able to honor this, like, this gift that he had cultivated, like, in this really profound way, even though he did not, he was nowhere and never would be in the place that Emily was in her playing. Um, But to be able to offer this gift and to invite us into this learning and growing and just this real um, persistence um, of being a, a, Mm. a, a learner late in life of an instrument that yeah. was that that was also a gift that was that was beautiful yeah. to us and to God's ears um and I'm really grateful for Ben mm. yeah I'm grateful for Ben too what an amazing story I loved him already um but taking up anything when you're 50 as somebody who is rapidly approaching mm-hmm. 50 right as a geriatric millennial uh taking up something new and the humility of learning something most people when they're getting closer to 50 are just like look this is what i know i'm gonna stick to the hits it's like a band that you go see that understands why they're there we're gonna play stuff off the first and second album we're not gonna play the new stuff you don't want to hear it uh but to your point from god's perspective those things aren't there's not one that's above the other right the performance quality doesn't determine the value. And so you, this is a a theme that arises in a lot of the stuff that I've read of yours of, we are not what we produce. That's not our value. Talk a little bit about that ethos of the idea of moving away from our value and our production. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I remember Barbara Brown Taylor once talked about how we need a green letter Bible where all the times Jesus talks about money are highlighted. And then like, 90% Ooh. of the Bible would be highlighted green. 
Um, yeah. Because it is this Ooh. topic that Jesus talks about so persistently. Um, and I Absolutely. think that the reason for that, or I've come to understand why Jesus is so insistent upon that, is because we, whether it is capitalism today or the patron-client relationship of the ancient world, we live in these economic systems that reduce people to production, right? Like that's sort of, that's what, mm. that's how these systems are formed. Um, and so, yeah. and it's so easy to tr to try to translate this. I'm into, I mean, this happens all the time, right? Like how many books have I read about the CEO of, uh, like what we can learn from Starbucks about how to run our church? Like how, oh, yeah. like here's oh, an yeah. Instagram, like uh, training session on how to market your church, right? Like, <laughs> and so there's all these tools that sort of, that go into the church. And then it's really hard, I think, to, again, like imagine, um, or do the work of interrogating what it is that we sure. actually are also importing when we get CEO mm. training um, for for our mm. for our lead pastors, right? Like, what is what is um, attached to that as it as it come in, comes in in our valuation processes in the sort of um, even in like the language of programming, like we do not have programming at our sure. church. There's no programming. Um, you can, because you could get that elsewhere, right? Like that's just not, um, right. we don't need like a Jesus -y version of the Enneagram workshop. Like you, like actually were to get an Enneagram mm. workshop and you know, what you learn can come in here and be a part of this. Um, but it's just not the thing that we are called to do as the church, um, which is a worshiping community um, that activates worship in a lot of different places in our lives. Yeah, ooh, I'm I'm letting that like sink in because look, like I'm not a hypocrite here. I go to those conferences all the time. I read the books. I listen to the podcasts. I'm fully in the mega church kind of world and have like my eyes on the CEO role. Let's yep. be honest. I'm just, let's keep it 100% real. So I'm not like, oh, those people, <laughs> like, no, that's me. Okay. That's me. Uh, one of the things you, but what you were talking about actually connects to something powerful that I was just reading Jesus talk about of beware the mm -hmm. yeast of the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about being careful of what you import with the good yeah. lessons of leadership, what you import with the efficient organization of the 501c3, what you import with certain financial strategies, things don't come in a vacuum. And I think our society in general can kind of think in a modular mm -hmm. way of here, I'm taking this thing and it's just my iPhone. It doesn't have any ties to the world, how it's produced, the politics behind it, what finances it, what doesn't finance it, it just is what it is because it's it's cleaner mm -hmm. to think of it that way. And when we import some of the stuff you're talking about, some of this teaching, the yeast of the Pharisees was about like, at least how I'm interpreting it, like Jesus is going, it, the bread may taste good, right? But beware that what's baked into it, what you get with it. And he's talking about their teaching very specifically. And so it made me think of that right away, right? And so we're embracing these teachings and we're going, yes, this is a great idea. And 
it might actually be a great idea. Like it's not to poo-poo the things that are happening, but just to be, oh, you talked about imagination and interrogation. These are two words that I'm like, I need to hold on to these words. You, you use great words, by the way. Uh, imagination and interrogation are things that the church is lacking in some ways. Um, and the interrogating of what is what is being imported, what is coming over with these concepts that we're embracing and these things that we're we're putting people towards, even the idea of programmatic ministry. What is the what is the yeast that you can't separate from the dough that you can't separate from the product? Because once you, once you've baked bread, you can't be like, I'm going to take yeah. the yeast out of it. Um, you have kids, you know that sometimes you get a meal and the kids are like, but I don't want the, you'll get like a stir fry or a fried rice. And they're like, but I don't want the peas. And you're like, well, then you're going to be picking peas out of your fried rice. Like there's no way to get it out. It just comes with it that way. Uh, And that's, that's a similar kind of thing that you're talking about, which is, it's so fascinating to consider that, like what comes over with that and interrogating what that looks like. And so without like, you know, without putting, me <laughs> and other people on blast, right? What are some of the things we're not interrogating that we've brought over with some of the some of the culture and some of the things that we've embraced as yeah. a mega church? Yeah, and I think that's a good question because I, I'll say I love bylaws. Like I love church bylaws. Um, I <laughs> because because they're an agreement, right? They, like that's what an, that's what bylaws are. They're an agreement, a public agreement that you've made with your church that you can point back to. Like I I don't think we need to go yeah. back. Like yeah, like you're saying, a lot of these structural pieces are actually about health, right? And about about right. sustaining an account, like we need to have accountability structures for how we spend money in our churches, right? And there are a lot of people outside right. the church right. who can help us with those accountability structures in the church. Um, yeah, so I don't think we're, I'm, I don't think people who sort of come from church models like me want to see us, you know, reduce to, you know, do whatever you want, because all that does is it allows for power to, assert itself in ways where there's no checks on it, right? Like that's like really what Mm. one of the ways that I think maybe even answers this question is like, are you using the structures you need to keep the powers, um, the, the power that happens in the pastoral role in, um, in certain committees, in giver, in certain givers, um, to keep that in check, like do your systems help Mm. keep power in check or are they the kind of systems that um, that allow for um, the people who are in already in the places of power in our world because of money, because of race, because of gender, because of class? Does it actually just replicate those power structures outside the church here? Because really, seems to be what Jesus wants from us is to create a world that is sort of upside down, where the people who typically mm. don't have voice, find sanctuary um, where 
the where the wealthy yeah. and the powerful um, want become patrons of the poor, right? They want to be like, how do mm. I live my life in such a way that the poor will welcome me into the kingdom of heaven? Like, right? Like that's the parable of the shrewd manager wow. right there. Um, you better make friends yeah. with um, with your money on this earth with the poor, because those are the people <laughs> who are going to be in charge of whether or not you get into the eternal kingdom. Um, according to Luke. Hmm. So I wonder how do we how do we use the structures that we have right this um unjust mammon again as that parable the shrewd manager says yeah. um to to attend to the ways that power is structured all around us but in a way that sets people free um because right this is the yeah. other thing we're talking about is it's actually not good like being wealthy is not good for wealthy people. It's not good, it's not good for you. Yeah, yeah, like that's something that's absolutely underrated. It is not good for you because it does right. affect your soul. That's right. It one hundred. It is not does. good. White supremacy is not good for white people or for people of color. Like it is like it. We need to be mm. liberated from these systems, right? We need acts of anti-violence yeah. um, to animate our churches. Um, mm. And there are all kinds of tools out there to help with that. Um, but if we're just replicating the same world that's out here, that people are trying to find good news in the midst of, then that's the place where we really need to say, yeah. what are what is it? What am I offering that's any different than what Starbucks is offering or American Airlines, right? Like, right? Come on. Yes. And at a budget, we yeah, do it worse. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, man, the differentiation. Oh, that is so good. What are we offering that's different? And, it, it, you know, Jesus said a little thing, and I'm going to add a little footnote to your thing just as a, as not as a fact yeah. check, but as a support of among yeah. you, it will be different. It's almost like he said that and meant it. Do we think he meant that among you, it will be different, right? The the people of this world, the rulers of this world lorded over the people. And he's talking to his disciples among you will be different. The least will be the greatest. The greatest will be the least. And that it, it feels like you're taking right? that pretty seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love for, for people who yeah. work in corporate systems to look at their church and be like, that's a ridiculous, that's a ridiculous. Like, I can't believe like you're paying off yeah. the student loans of people in your congregation instead of like, like building your endowment. Like yeah. that's a ridiculous use of money. I'd be like, okay, it, that seems like a it, good, a good sign that what we're doing. <laughs> a good measure. Okay. It's a good measure. Yeah. If it seems foolish it to the world, measure. it's a good measure. Yeah. Oh, it's a really good point. I, well, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at a birthday party for one of my kids. And uh, his the kid's dad that was celebrating the party, his dad's a lawyer. And I always oh. hesitate to tell people what I do. Because it's either it either turns into confession time. Or they apologize for the swears that they've said. And then they this like run true. away from me. This is true. Um, some kind of... Yeah. This guy was different. He's like, oh, hey, that's where the real money is. And I was like, what? 
And he's like, yeah, man, if you set this up right, man, let me tell you about what Joel Osteen is doing. And he starts going into how, and he's like, we need to start a church together, bro. And he starts going in because he's like, hey, man, you could, and so, and he was talking about Kanye. He's like, hey, with Kanye, he's got a 501c3. You can't tax it, but he's making all this money because of this. this." And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, he saw the church as a better capitalist venture than yeah. being a that's lawyer. Te- yeah, that's telling. Yep. And when putting it in the con- like, I- I've told that as a funny story because it is a funny story. But putting it in the context of mm-hmm. what you're talking about now, it's mm-hmm. heartbreaking. And that there's no different. It's not even that it's not the same. It's not even that it's a copy. It's that it's being used to be something right. that's even more exploitative. That's even more uh, loophole bound as a way to keep what you yeah. feel like is rightfully yours. Yeah. And uh, the thing that you, it's, it's not just about the good of others. That's the thing that I think us as rich people, and you know, if you've traveled and you know that if you live in America, even if you're poor here, you are often better off than folks in other places. So it's not, you know, it, it's not talking about that. Uh, well, I guess we could talk about the, what was it? The, the broken ladder. Did you read that book? The mm, broken I ladder about mm-hmm. inequality. Okay, it's interesting because the theory of the book, this is like I'm putting a pin in our conversation. The theory of the book is that the problem isn't actually how Mm, much money people have, it's inequality. And so it's like a a relative thing. So even if you have a million dollars and somebody has a billion dollars, it's it's the inequality. Anyway, back, back to the point. And so you were taking something that shouldn't make sense in a system of money first, me first, and it make when it makes mm, sense with yeah. that, maybe we're not doing it right. Maybe we're maybe there's something to be learned from how to change uh, how to change. Yeah, the and you know, John, that. one of the things that reminds oh, me of is um, I like what, and I I'm thinking about this because I'm 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 giving another lecture. Oh my gosh, so many words must be written. Um, on on the great resignation, like why pastors are leaving the church, and and this reminds me of of one one of the things I'm going to talk about, which is how I feel like what we we thought that we were getting into. I will pour out my spirit on all people, and actually what we are is we're in a marketplace of mm. meaning making, right? Like like who can we're actually Ooh. competing with CrossFit and the Enneagram and Kanye, right? Like we're all just in this. And so it's like, how can we mm. make the most meaning here? Um, and and so my, wow. like, because just probably because of my personality, um, my, my general thought is like, I want people to be bored for at least five minutes of our worship service. Like I want every person to be like, this this is this part is not actually my jam like at least once during every worship service because mm. it's actually not about you right like i am not here like yeah. if you want to feel like you want i want you to feel good and filled up and have meaning um and i want you to know that this is not a competition with those other things in your life you can have all the meaning mm. you want there but this is actually a mm. place where it's okay to be bored every once in a while where it's okay to be quiet every yeah. once in a while, where oh the music is like where all of our musicians are volunteers. And so we have this joke that like, 
Yeah. I always pray that God doesn't send like five tuba players because we would have only tuba worship in, in church to be like, even that is like crossing a bridge, <laughs> crossing a bridge for me. But like, we just literally work with whatever people come up, come up. And so, you know what, if you, I hear people all the time be like, yeah. oh, I would never go to church without an organ. I'm like, well, guess what? You will never come to my church because like, we don't got an organ. We don't even own a building. Um, so if you're looking for a church yeah. that has like a certain <laughs> type of music, our music is going to change next year when somebody else who plays the trombone comes in, right? Like, it's just, a, it's a, I want people right. to go to concerts and have amazing time worshiping at the altar of Sufjan Stevens. I worship at that altar on occasion as well, but that is not what worship mm. is for. <laughs> um, it, um, it is not for expertise. Mm. It is for the body gathered in the name of Jesus, remembered at the table as we become the body and blood of Jesus for the world. Um, and there's lots of ways for us to help remind people that that is the work that's been given for us to do. Oh, my goodness. That OK, that's going to be a good lecture. I hope so. Uh, wh where are you doing that? Um, at Andover Newton, which is now at Yale. So it kind of looks like maybe I'm giving a lecture at Yale, even though I'm not. But I I've told my mom that no, I just you're I, giving a lecture at Yale yeah. between us. Like between you're going us? full. Full Rory Gilmore. Yeah, you, uh, me, and my but, mom. It's at Yale. But yeah. <laughs> for everybody else, it's actually Andover Newton, which is now at Yale. So. <laughs> that is, okay. So one, uh, this will probably be released after you do that. Yeah. So just everybody listening to this right now is going to be like, oh, man, that would have been a good lecture. Maybe the file will be available. Yeah. Uh, there's actually three things. Two, you're going to be at Yale. So that's a whole great thing. Three, shout out to Mrs. Bixler. What's your mom's name? Robin, like the bird. Robin Robin Bixler, shout out. We're shouting out your whole family. I know. I love them. They're so great. Yeah. How Okay, what is your family like? How many brothers and sisters do you have? I just have one sister and a mom and a dad who very grateful that they're both living. And yeah. they live not too, you know, they live in Durham, 25 miles from here. Um, my sister nice. lives down the street from them. So... Everybody's oh. here. It's the best. So Heather, Robin, and hold on. Uh, Heather, Robin, and Michael. Nope. This is another classic, like, dad. It's a classic dad name. Jim. So close. Bill. Oh, Bill Bixler. Bill Bixler. Yep. That's such an, okay, the Incredible Hulk. Uh, no, that's Bill Bixby. Yeah. Um, close. So close. Yeah. Oh, I was close. Yeah, uh, he's the incredible Hulk of um, uh, marriage and family therapy, though, for sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Great. Yeah. What a sweet. I just learned a little bit about your family, and I appreciate that. It's a nice little snapshot yeah. in a chaotic, strange world. I have like a whole picture of what your life potentially looks like yes. <laughs> with Bill, Robin, and Heather. Yeah. Uh, in North Carolina. Just out here in North Carolina and just trying to survive the pandemic. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're all doing. Uh, okay. <laughs> the thing that connected us most recently was you were tweeting a question of like, what have you seen in the pandemic that has changed the way you do church? Kind of yes. asking some of the larger yeah. things. And one of the things that I shared that I feel is like a thing, and it's a, it's a little bit of a statement that's like kind of pithy and so people get it, but it's like, People 
are for us, people are defining their church by where they get their care, mm -hmm. not their content. Yeah. And that, that has been something that's seared into my brain. And with that, it's it, the way that you're doing church is a little bit more like that, but talk a little bit more about what you learned from people kind of answering those questions and, and sorting through that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, I was interested in how it did feel like there is a great unknown, right? Like people just feel mm -hmm. like, wow, all the assumptions they had about church are no longer operative and it doesn't feel like I really know what to expect. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think, you know, part of that comes from the fact that we just, we don't, if we're, it kind of feels like we're still in this in between and maybe we will be forever. Right. Like that's what I think mm. is the, yeah. But I feel like one of, you know, one of the things that sort of kept coming up is um, kind of like in relation to what you're saying too, like I, the, I have this image of like an amoeba, <laughs> like, um, like you're like yeah. this little part, like kind of like sucks off and then kind of comes back in and, you know, it's like, kind of this. Yeah. whereas before you had like this structure and there were either people who came on Sunday and people who didn't. And now it just feels like, oh, I need to reconnect with this community that I left years ago. But I also have the, yeah. the Quakers who I have been in a small group with. And and so what does belonging look like, right? When, what does membership yeah. look like? What does, um, mm. yeah, what does, what, do, what does place look like when there is, sure. it is this sort of sense of community is sort of always morphing and changing shape. Um, and people come and go, and then you have a consistent group that also just has to be porous, right? To people coming in, people going yeah. out. Um, and I think we've always had that, but it feels like it's like, if it, we were at like a two, now we're like at a 10 with, with that reality. Yeah. Yes. So pronounced. And it, you said the amoeba thing. I once wrote a paper in seminary about how the church is not an organization. It's oh, an organism. See? Yes. We're totally and right. yeah, the, the organism feels right because it's like this shifting thing of, because we've really only done church like this for what, like 60 years, like the kind of more mega churchy kind of, it's like, you can go back to, you know, however many years, nearly 2000 years and find, I don't know how many expressions and iterations of church and worship, and it all looks different and it's always shifting. And that's where the church really has power. Mm -hmm. uh, so many religious systems are built on, and I, I mean power in a good way, um, rigidity, of like form and rigidity of practice and liturgy and like it, there's a rigid like no you can't change this and the true believers are this and then the church is just like a cockroach just like you can't get rid of us like just morphing yeah. and changing no matter where it goes and and it, it's it is porous enough like, what a great word you such a good vocabulary uh it, it's porous enough where things can come in and kind of be adopted, but things that aren't good can kind of yeah. pass through. Yep. And, you know, we're still kind of passing through the Constantine, you know, official religion of the empire that's still passing through yeah. the organism. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're, we're kind of holding on to mm -hmm. some other stuff. Mm -hmm. That's oh, what an exciting. Okay. It is to your point. Nobody knows what they're doing nope. right now. Uh, and, that's not just church world. I don't know that anybody right. knows what they're doing. 
Some people have decided to just put on a blindfold and drive and go, everything is fine. We're getting back to normal and it doesn't matter what we crash into. Like there are some people that are just living that way and they're in charge of large things, some of those people. Um, And then there are other people who still haven't left their bedroom and they're just like tucked in there and nobody knows what they're doing. We're all just doing the best that we can. Everybody's doing their best. And so it's interesting to live in an exciting but unknown period where there's not clear answers, where there's not, what do I do? Oh, well, shoot, you were asking about it. Again, this is so recent, and I promise I'm not stalking you. Um, On Twitter, it's like we're sending our kids back to school without masks, right, in many places. So what does that mean when the teachers get sick? And what does that mean when this happens? And what does that mean? There's this chain reaction effect of we don't know what it looks like. And I will tell you, I didn't get a chance to tweet about it. In Texas, it yeah. ended up okay. We dropped the mask requirement a little while ago. and But there were days that my six-year-old in his first grade class was like, hey, dad, there's only four right. other kids here. And it just was what it was. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And it, I'm not saying it yeah. was right, but I am saying we did right. it and it was right. okay. Um, and okay in the sense of, there wasn't a death at the school. There wasn't, like, I'm saying right. we got through yeah. it. Were more kids sick than probably needed to be, sure. But we've just been, we're in the plowing through with the right. blindfold on right. in a lot of things here. I, I've been babbling for a little while, sorry. Uh, and so we don't know yeah. what's going on, but there's something yeah. exciting about that. Some personalities, it makes them be like, oh, I don't know what's going on. This is horrible. Others of us are a little bit like, it's the unknown. Let's let's em- let's try new things. Let's embrace new things. And I think some of the ethos of this podcast yeah. came from that of going, we just can't right. do church the same way. I- I'm not smart enough to know what we should be doing. So why don't I talk right. to people? <laughs> and dare I say, seek some of that consensus, right? We don't, I don't have to agree with yeah. everyone on it. But collective wisdom is better than mountaintop Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments. This is what we're doing. Um, Kind of patriarchal style of leadership. Is that fair to say? Of we follow the guy in charge and he has all the answers. Um, Or the woman in charge. I guess if you're, you know. If, well, ne- next, whatever. you turn I, around and there's gonna... Aaron with the golden calf. So, you know, it's like, it's like yeah. following, following <laughs> the, the one guy is like, does it always work out if you pick the one? You were gone for so long. <laughs> we needed something else to doing. worship. Like... Yeah. Well, so you can end up with, yeah. So we're in this exciting period. So I'm excited about it. Well, how are you feeling about it? How do you feel as somebody who's a thinker? As somebody who, in some ways, people are looking to for at least interesting explorations. They don't ask you to lecture, write books, or do things if you can't speak into something. How do you feel about this? Yeah. I mean, one of these days, people are going to figure out I don't actually have that much to say. But they haven't yet. Um, So until then, I'll just keep doing this. Um, But yeah, you know, I I mean, I I feel okay. I don't love... Um, I kind of did like what we were doing before. <laughs> like I liked church and people came on Sundays okay. and, but I've also been opened up to the reality of who was left out of that. Right. And 
um, mm. you know, wrote, wrote this piece about Zoom Church, which is the platform we use. And, you know, recognizing that there were people yeah. who LGBTQ people who didn't have access to churches where they felt like they were like or were really isolated and, and found again right. sanctuary. And so so I think it's helped mm. that there have been some gifts along the way to be to say, even in this discomfort, we have be actually been enabled to become more faithful to who we want to be. Um, it is, it's not as if we're mm. being forced to become something else. We are actually being, we're, we've been a lot, a spotlight has been shown on the places where we have not been um, the church that we want to be, um, mm. that we have not been able to be good news in the way that we could be. Um, and so thinking of it of, in that direction, has been helpful, but I'm also in a very, very healthy church. And so I wonder if a lot of, there's more anxiety for people who this this whole thing has just been conflict and anxiety mm. and frustration. It's really hard to have imagination when you are just bogged down um, in constant, like entrenched conflict. Um, and so that I think yeah. is my worry for pastors is that's so enervating, right? Like you can't, you can't live like that forever mm. and you've lived like that for two years. Yeah. Um, and so how do you, yeah. how do you have hope um, when there are so many possibilities, but it's just so hard to live into those when, when, the, when they're, when like the ticky tack stuff of every day is just, you know, yeah, I mean, that's straight up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think a lot of yes, people feel like absolutely. they're surviving. And uh, a lot of churches and pastors, and so connecting to your yeah. great resignation talk yeah. of why pastors are leaving, uh, surviving stinks. Like, we, I think you don't get into this to yeah. not use your imagination. Um, you don't get into, you know, church work, clergy work, whatever you want to call it to just survive and yeah. to call people to just survive, right? Yeah. We're calling people to thrive yeah. and we want to thrive. Mm -hmm. And can you do that in the current system as it is? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, but it, to your point, it's, it is a strain, an absolute strain. All right, I'm going to hard pivot on you. Are you ready for the segment that the world is talking about? The segment that has an amazing theme song that Garrett has either given us an amazing theme song or I get to sing it. Welcome to the non-judgment zone of joy. It's the non-judgment zone of joy. The non-judgment zone of joy. Pivot hard. Oh, I go. wish we'd rehearsed that because uh, I could have done some beatboxing behind that. And now yeah. <laughs> well, we were making a joyful noise. I mean, we could try again okay, if you want right? to jump in with the beatbox. Yeah. It's the non-judgment zone of joy. The non-judgment zone of joy. Is that good? Oh, you nailed Great. it. It was yeah. perfect. It was perfect. I think we Aww. I think we worshiped. I love that together. for us and for the Holy Spirit. That was awesome. Yeah. If you're interested yeah, in booking we're us, just always let available. Us know, uh, always contact us. 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it because we can come to you virtually. Uh, so when you enter the non-judgment uh, zone of joy, I just ask you, what is bringing you joy right now? Um, I, I, John, am in the um, first phase of a push-up challenge for myself. I've challenged myself. What? Um, and so I want to be able to do 50 push-ups in a month. Um, and I love it. I love what? a short-term challenge and I get a lot of joy from it. Like I did a 5k with my 10 year olds a couple of months ago. Like, I don't like to like uh -huh. do things like long-term in physical fitness. I like a short-term goal and it's just like, and you can just like look forward to it every day. So the push-up challenge is what's giving me joy right now. Yep. So it's giving me joy right now. Yep. That first of all, amazing. I second of all, this is not to be like judgmental. I when I was like, you know what? When I when I see you, when I see your profile picture, when all that, I'm like, I don't think that's a woman who could do a lot of push-ups. You're correct. Uh, well, yeah. Which is why the push-up challenge is great. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Follow-up question: Where are you in the push-up challenge right now? I'm only on day three. Um, so I'm right at the beginning and I also learned I've been doing pushups wrong this whole time. Like I, I've watched, mm. a couple, I've had to watch a couple YouTube videos on form. Um, mm. and so I just want to encourage you if you are sensing listener that you're doing a push up wrong, there's a lot of help out there. There's <laughs> a lot of resources oh. for you. <laughs> and you've sought it out. I've and sought you, out that help. You've... I was not afraid to ask for help and I am now, I'm, I'm now better for it. Okay, so, okay, I have so many questions about the push-up challenge, which is weird. What what would you coach us on in form? What are the mistakes that people are making when doing their push-ups? Yeah, so it's too far out or too far in. Like, you have to really mm. hit this zone just outside of your shoulders um, where okay. you're, you're um, I'm not really great with angles, but it's like not the 90 and not the, you know, not to the side, but kind of in the middle. Um, so you're just, so this is sort of, I know you can't really see this at, at, if you're listening, but if you're listening, you yeah, <laughs> that is like a 30 degree angle. I'm so bad at geometry. If that's 90, that's 90. Wouldn't that be like 30? Like, no, this is not. Yeah. 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 That sounds right. 30. Sure. Let's go with it. So put the, so we want to have your like arms like that. Yeah. Mm. And it actually takes, and then, but the part of the push up challenge is that, you have to do a lot of other exercises because push-up is like the ultimate, like that's everything. So you have to, so you'd have to do some tricep training for a couple of weeks. You have to do some core training because it's all the things like push-up is really like a very holistic exercise. Oh, that's how many, so how many push-ups can you do right now? Like four. Okay. I mean, that's still good though. Is it? Is it though? Yeah, I don't think I. This is maybe we run a poll. I feel like most people, and you know, I feel like most women specifically mm -hmm. would struggle to do a push-up. I shouldn't say most. I should say I think a lot of people struggle to do a push-up. Okay. With the proper form. Yeah, with the proper form, that's that. That may be true. It is hard. Well, and, it is actually hard. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times men push-ups are sometimes easier because we right stereotypically carry more upper body yep, strength right, right? Mm -hmm. and whereas women carry a little more, more in the legs yep. and so 
when whenever we've done workouts at home, my wife can do wall sits forever. Yeah. And it makes me want to cry. Yes. Um, because I hate legs and whatnot. But like yeah. push-ups are, you know, it's not that they're easy for me because I don't know if you can tell. I don't know if you judged the shape that I was in. Like I apparently <laughs> judged the shape that you were in. Uh, I'm, I'm not a super like fitness kind of dude. Mm. So, mm-hmm. but I, I could knock out a couple push-ups. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, interesting. Has the proper form made it easier? No. Or harder? No, I was definitely just doing what made it easier for me, which is further apart. Okay. Right. Yeah, Got yeah. It. Because you have less distance to the ground. It is less distance to the ground. Yeah, okay. that is absolutely true. You're popping them Yeah, out. and I think less tricep well, as well. That's the other mm, thing. So now I got to do it right. I know it. Yeah. <laughs> well, because when you know better, you got to do better. I feel that way. Some people do not feel that way. But i that is a, well, a principle that I, <laughs> that I hold to. <laughs> that, that's like our whole job. When you know better, you got to do better. Like that's that's, that's, like that's the job in a summary. A yes, and it extends to push-ups yeah. apparently as well. So, oh, there's a guy I know. This is again total random story. Andre Jennings, if you're listening to this, one of my dudes that I work with, he is the best bench presser mm. because he's perfectly built for. Oh it. yeah. He's just a big, we joke that he's made out of the things that Wolverine are made out of, adamantium, because <laughs> he's just super solid, but his arms aren't particularly long. Oh. And so he bench presses and he's got a very broad chest. And so he bench presses and it's just going three inches yeah. and, and different people are made That's for right. different things. So if you have long arms, pushups might be harder. And if you have like a short, uh, a, a thin or slight torso. Slight torso. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might make it. Yep. Well, that is what is bringing you joy in the non-judgment zone of joy. Uh, thank you for answering yeah. that question. And thank you for being on, Melissa. Yeah. Melissa Flora Bixler, Thanks. Mennonite pastor, Yale lecturer. Yes, Yale uh, lecturer. And, That's right. And, and, <laughs> and congregational. <laughs> Good job, Mom. Oh, Robin, be proud of your girl. Podcast. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for joining us. What do you want to plug? What do you want to tell people? Where do people find you? How could they interact with you? How can they connect with yeah. you? Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I am on all the social medias, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can just look me up by my name. And yeah, there's not a lot of Melissa Flora. I know. There are none. I'm it so far. The notorious, notorious MFB. MFB. P-O-P-P-A. That's right. Uh, oh. oh, no oh, info right. for the D-E-A. Do we just re- do you want to outro that with the yeah. federal agent <laughs> mad because I'm flagrant? Yeah. Right? Tap the cell and yes. the phone in the basement. My team supreme. Stay clean. Triple beam. Lyrical dream. I be that. Can't you see it? All oh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, that was yeah. great. I uh, I try to be more like a P. Diddy, though. Oh, yeah? Like, I try to be puffy. Like, I'm in the background. Like, I, that's... I actually just was texting my group chat of guys. Like, I have these dudes mm-hmm. that I'm really close with. We call ourselves the brown boys uh, because we're all right, brown in some yep. variety. Yeah. And I want to be like the Dr. Dre of church. Oh. Like, that's the goal yeah. is to be like... I'm not... Maybe not the best rapper... Like, maybe that's not the thing, but I'd like to produce so that the Super Bowl halftime show is all amazing songs that I was connected to in some way. Do you have, um, who is the mace of your brown voice group? 
Oh, who's the mace of yeah, our crew? Who's the mace of oh, I'm gonna have to think okay. about that cool. one. Oh, probably Robbie. Probably Robbie Q. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, no, Robert Robbie, Quintero. Not that you know I who this is. Robbie yeah. will listen though. Robbie will listen. Robbie might be the mace because I mean he came out just like boom and blew yeah. it up. And was just right on there. And now he's kind of in the period of like, maybe he's going to, he's going to come back yeah. later. Yep. That's perfect. That yeah. That's the mace. That's definitely yeah. the mace of your crew. Yeah. All my kids yeah. are Shout out um, to Lee. That's the, that's what they love. They, they just, I wish yes, I was a they love that taller. song. They're like, I, wish I, was I feel that. They've like all like pre-puberty, like ready to like, you know, uh -huh. ready to, to drive those Impalas around, but not yet. Still yeah. too little. <laughs> As one, yeah. does, <laughs> as one does, as one does obviously. in North Carolina. Yeah. How, are you tall? No, how no. tall are you? Um, five, five. Can I guess oh, how I'm tall sorry, you are? Yeah, five, okay. five. No, that's yeah. okay. I'm just yeah. guessing. Okay. Yeah. I, and so your kids are maybe, you think they're going to be tall or short? Tall. One is already taller. Gonna... The 13 year old's already taller than me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's a it problem. is a very strange feeling. I do not recommend it. It's it is if um, uh, against nature, as Paul would say in Romans, contrary <laughs> nature. <laughs> Something is wrong. With the I, hope of you, the I hope you. I hope you told them that. <laughs> Just be like the apostle Paul forbids you to grow taller than me because it is against right. nature. And my thirteen-year-old just rolls her eyes and you know walks out of the room to go do whatever. But yeah, thirteen-year-olds just roll their eyes it's at everything. Weird. Like I don't know that it was even specific. It's like weird. how is there not like retinal damage like from all the eye eye rolling? Like, oh, yeah. Kinda Ooh, just that's kind of hurt at this point but liz lemon level eye rolls oh amazing stuff yeah, yeah. that's so good well thank you for joining our rap and uh height yes, uh, discussion great. hour uh, people will find you on instagram they'll buy your book how to have an enemy yeah, uh, please buy that and then yeah. you have another book too what's it called Fire by Night, Finding God in the Pages of the Old Testament. Yep. Ooh, come on. Oh, you. Oh, good. Fire by Night. Buy it. All right. Hey, Melissa, thank you for taking the time to be yes, here absolutely. and hang out with me. I really appreciate you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Check out Melissa. She's fantastic. Hopefully, this is a stimulating and fun conversation for you. Love y'all. That was a super conversation with Melissa Flora Bixler or the Notorious MFB as we may call her now going forward. She just had some outstanding things to say that really challenged a lot of what I've been doing and a lot of the beliefs that I have. But um, what's really great about what she talked about, both interrogation and imagination, are the keys to kind of leading the church toward a better tomorrow, a better future, one where we can fully invest in people and care for people and not be a part of dehumanizing structures as they do that. I'm just thankful for her expertise, her humor. So thank you, Melissa, for being here. I hope you enjoyed it as well. You can find her all over the interwebs, Melissa Flora Bixler, and it's melissaflorabixler.com if you want more information. She's got a book, How to Have an Enemy. It is a great book that I haven't read yet, but I need to start doing that right now because I've loved everything else she's written and her articles. Find her on all the social medias that way as well. 
Yo, this podcast is great, but it's nothing without you. Thank you for being a part of this community. If you haven't yet, click the subscribe button wherever you're watching or listening to this. You can ask questions, email me at john at betteronthinside.com or you can find me on socials. I'm at Twitter uh, at John Pyle, J-O-N-P-Y-L-E. And please feel free to ask those questions. I'd love to answer more questions on episodes and talk to y'all more about what you're looking forward to. Because again, this is about creating cultures that are better on the inside. People are not expendable, period. People are not expendable. We have some more cool episodes coming up. Thank you for being a part of this. This has been produced by City Church San Antonio, the church that I work at, as well as the Church Digital Network, an awesome group of people that are doing some amazing stuff. All right, I love you guys. I'll see you next time.